God has provided us a season of listening. We, we've, had the, we've had the chance to listen to ourselves and listen to our world in a way that is unique. I, I think there are, there are answers we would have given to questions in the past that were reflexive. We'd have just said, yeah, this is who I am, or this is, this is what I'm about, or this is how I'm wired. And this season has taught us things about ourselves. We've learned things if we've really been willing to listen. We've learned about courage, be bold, be courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I've loved looking at this book, and today we invited you in the email yesterday to read Joshua chapter 24. We're going to head to the end of the book, and uh, well, we're going we're to change the agenda just a touch, okay? Now, having said that, you read Joshua 24. It's never a waste to read the Bible. Congratulations. You read a chapter of the Bible, and you got that into your heart, and that was important. But we're actually going to skip back to Joshua chapter 9. And the reason we're doing that, this story we're going to look at in Joshua chapter 9 is something that I intended to include as about five minutes of talking about Joshua chapter 24. And the more I worked through it, I was like, you know what? We just got to land in Joshua chapter 9. There are two lessons in there that are so vitally relevant to us today, to our walk today, that we can't just, we can't just glance over it in a couple minutes and move on. So you head over to Joshua chapter 9, and it begins by telling us that the kings of the land, the kings of the, the western foothills, the coast along the Mediterranean, the, the kings of the hill country, these are the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. By the way, Jebusites, Jebus, Jebus was a city, and, and soon when David comes, it'll be renamed not Jebus, but Jerusalem. So anyway, you have all these towns, all these people, and they realize that Israel is coming and they're going to take the land. And so what these kings decide to do is form an alliance. They say, we're not just going to sit and wait to die. We're going to, we're going to gather together, form an alliance, and fight together as one. Now, this is interesting because when you go back to chapter 5, you remember that when these same kings heard about Israel coming into the land... They were terrified. It says they melted in fear. So something has happened from chapter 5 to chapter 9 that's caused them to go from we're melting in fear to we need to take action. We need to, we need to get at this. We need to do something. There are two possibilities. One is that they realized we can sit here like sitting ducks and wait and die, or we can actually fight even though we may be terrified. Or perhaps they watched what happened to Ai, when Israel went and attacked Ai, and Ai routed them, and, they, and they're realizing, huh, there's some vulnerability here. There's something, maybe we can fight, maybe we can win. For whatever reason, they've decided they're going to go ahead and fight. Now, there's one little town in that area named Gibeon. Gibeon heard what, what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, and they decide, we're not going to join in the alliance we're going to go it on our own. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to enter into a treaty with Israel. But we're not going to, we're not going to go about it in a way that is honest and forthright. We're going, to, we're going to lie to them in order to enter into an alliance. Now you may wonder, why, why is Gibeon feeling a particular amount of fear? Let me go ahead and bring up a, a map of the land of Israel for you here. And, and look at the red box area first. So, so when they talk about this hill country and all... Uh, here's where we're talking. See the squiggly line? That's the Jordan River. 
So they were over here. Here's Mount Nebo. In fact, let me come over to the blown up. Here's Mount Nebo. This is where Moses saw the entirety of the land. They, they cross over into the promised land. The first town they attack is Jericho. And then they get on the march. And the second town they attack is Ai. Now you look at the towns right around it. You have Bethel just a little bit to the north. You have, you have Gibeon, pretty much straight run. You have Jerusalem down below here. So you have these towns all clustered here. I think that Gibeon knows they're in the crosshairs. They're about to be attacked next. And to just give you a little bit of perspective, so if you're, if you're in Gibeon and you want to go to Jerusalem, so see it over there again, Gibeon, Jerusalem. It's about six miles. It's about six miles. So if you're here today, and you are, and you got in your car and you drove down Route 6 and you hit where the chemical plants are, you've driven six miles. In other words, we're not talking, this isn't a drive to Bloomington, okay? This is, this is, these towns are all close. It's just a handful of miles that they will be coming and they will be attacking them next. So, so Gibeon decides we're not going to join the alliance and fight. We're instead going to try to make peace. But they do it in a way that is just, it is intentionally deceptive. I mean, it's, it's outright. This is, they're going to win an Academy Award for this one. They are such good actors, all right? They send ambassadors to Joshua. They load their donkeys with, with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes. They, they find some bread that's dry and moldy and go, yeah, that'll work. Let's take that along too. They arrive at the camp in Gilgal, where the Israelites are, and they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. A distant land, about six miles away. We've come from a distant, far, far away. Look at our moldy bread. Now, here are a couple things we need to know from Deuteronomy. First of all, God has said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2, no treaties with the people of the land. They are to be utterly destroyed. So they were not to enter into any treaties. But they could enter into treaties with people who were not part of the land. If, if somebody wanted to come up against in battle with them from another, from another country, they could make the offer. We'll make peace with you. You'll be, our, you'll be our servants. We'll make peace with you. So there was an opportunity for treaties, but not with the people of the land. And again, that's reinforced in chapter 20. But these instructions apply only to distant towns, not to the towns of the nation and the land you will enter. So the opportunity for treaty is there, but not with Gibeon. Gibeon is part of the people of the land. So you go back to Joshua chapter seven or chapter nine, verse seven. It says, The Israelites reported to these Hivites, How do we know you don't live nearby? They're they're already they're like smelling something's fishy here. Something's not right. How do we how do we know you're not our neighbor? For if for if you are, we can't make a treaty with you. We can't do it. And and their answer, their answer is just a it's a total deception. It's a diversion. They don't say anything, they just say, We are your servants. We are your servants. Now, it's interesting that they say even that, because what they're saying is we realize that in this treaty, we are not going to be equals. We will be subservient. We're willing to do anything if you'll let us live. Sometimes when an alliance is formed, there's a recognition that, that there's a superior and an inferior force involved. You go back to my early history at, at, at church, when the first church I went to in, in, in Missouri 
I affectionately refer to it as a micro church, which is the opposite of a mega church, little tiny church. And we had been there for a couple of years, and we, we decided as a group to merge with another group that was much larger than us. Nobody came to that table and said, all right, guys, here's the way this is going to work. You're going to take our name. You're going to take our pastor. You're going to take our staff. We're going to be the leaders. You guys, you guys are all just going to move to the side. We're taking over. No, just the opposite. We walked in and we said, we want to do what we can do to strengthen you. And, and we... <clears throat> literally want our identity to be consumed by you in order that we might be a strong church together. This is, this is the attitude with which the people of Gibeon are approaching Israel. They're like, we are more than willing to be your servants, just let us live. And so even Joshua, Joshua says, but who are you? And where do you come from? He, he's suspicious. The people are suspicious. They're just wondering, what in the world is going on here? They, they, here we go again. They, they, they pull out the script, right? This is what they've been told to say. We come from a distant country. We've heard of the might of the Lord your God and all he did in Egypt. Now, I find that line intriguing. They don't start by saying, you guys, you, you took out Jericho, you took out AI, we know we're next, we just want peace. They say, We've heard of the might of the Lord your God. They recognize that there is a spiritual force with the people of Israel that is different than any spiritual force they have ever seen. They recognize something here. They see it. They see it with their eyes. We have also heard what you did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, to Sion and to Og. So our elders and all of our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey, go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants, please make a treaty with us. And now, they, it's so funny, sometimes, you know, people, you, you've met people who have a tendency to explain the joke to you just in case you didn't get it, even though you full well got it. These guys, they, they got to say, have you seen our props, by the way? Have you seen our props? This bread was hot from the oven when we left our homes. Now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. He said, the wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split. And our clothing and sandals are worn out from a very long journey. In case you missed all the work we did on the props, look, here, seriously, seriously, we're from far away. So the Israelites examined their food. They looked at it. But they did not consult the Lord. Ugh. That should be in like bold, caps, underline. But they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. So they see the props, they hear the speech, and they say, Treaty. We have peace between us. And you have that ominous line, but they did not consult the Lord. As you're reading through Joshua, you find overall that Joshua is, he's a man of, of virtue and character. We don't have the chapter where, where Joshua just does something dumb or sinful, or he's, he's a man of virtue and character. But if there's one thing that could be said of Joshua that he doesn't seem to get quite right, he has a tendency to not have the courage to ask God, to pray to God, to talk to God in the most important of moments. We saw that with Ai. 
They get done with the battle of Jericho, and it's time to move on to Ai, and there's no ask on the part of Joshua, should we go and attack them? How should we attack them? What should we do? Now, no positive or negative is mentioned in the passage of that, but here there is. These people come, they want to enter into a treaty, and rather than saying, God, help us here, give us discernment, help us to know what to do, they rely on what they can see with their own eyes, and that's it. And they don't consult with the Lord their God. Boy, I think there's huge, huge lesson, a huge lesson for us here. Because what I see in Joshua is not, I would not call him impulsive, but he's a man who says, it makes sense to me. I got this figured out. I know how to do this. And in those moments, he does not express a reliance on God. How many times do we do that? How many times do we just look at the facts before us and say, it makes sense to me? Hey, the bread's moldy. It makes sense to me. But we don't come back and say, God, is there something here that I'm missing? Is there something here that you want me to see that I'm not seeing? We need those moments, even when things seem to make sense to us. What what does Proverbs say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't trust your own eyes. Yeah, the bread's moldy, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. What's acknowledge him? Talk to him. Have a conversation with him. Ask God, where are you in this? What is your desire in this? And then he will direct your paths. So that first important lesson for us is, Don't simply look at what you believe to be the evidence before you and make an important decision. Bring it to God. Talk to God. Rely on God in conversation. Well, it does not take long. In fact, it's only three days later. Three days after making the treaty, they learn that these people actually live nearby. Exclamation point. Are you kidding me? They're neighbors. The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reach their towns in three days. And and all of these towns are related to the Gibeonites. Then the Israelites did not attack the towns. And for the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. So they go, they're they're about to go on the attack. They realize we can't attack. We just made a treaty with these people. Oh my word. And we see something of the history of Israel shining forth. The people grumbled again. They grumbled against the leaders because of the treaty, but there's some validity here. I mean, you guys, you didn't do your homework. You saw the moldy bread, but you didn't talk to God. The leaders replied, since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. This is what we must do. We must let them live. We've got to let our decisions stand. We got to let our decision stand. For divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath. We made a promise. Even if it was under false pretenses, we made a promise, and we can't go back on that. Let them live. So they made them the woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community as the Israelite leaders had directed. Now, Joshua needs some clarification. So he calls in the Gibeonites and he says, why did you lie to us? Why did you do that? Why did you tell us you lived in a distant land when, my goodness, you were, you were the next town over? May you be cursed. May you be cursed. From now on, you will always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my God. So he makes clear, 
Uh, this is not going to be an equal partnership. You will be serving as our servants, woodcutters, water carriers for the house of God. And we get their reply. They say, we did this because we, your servants, they acknowledge this is going to be the relationship. We're clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you this entire land and to destroy all the people living in it. We see, we see in the people of Gibeon something of a, a spiritual awakening. They didn't simply look at the Israelites and say, you're way more powerful than us. They said, there's something about your God. There's something about your God. Your God has given you a power that he has not given to other people. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you. That's why we've done this. Now we are at your mercy Do to us whatever you think is right. So they still acknowledge you're going to do what you want to do, do it, whatever you're going to do. Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill them, but that day he made the Gibeonites, the woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord, wherever the Lord would choose to build it. And that is what they do to this day. So up until the time of the writing, years later, they were still serving in that role. Now, I've looked at this story in the past. I remember it as a kid. I remember studying it and looking at it at other points in my life. And I always kind of come back to this same question every time. Why in the world would the Israelites honor a treaty made under false pretenses? Why, why couldn't they just cry, breach a contract? I'm sorry. You lied. You lied. Let's say this afternoon you're going to go buy a car. You go over, and I won't name one because we have a whole bunch of them. You go over to buy the car, and, and you look at the car. You love the car. You fill out the paperwork. You do the whole thing, and it's all done, and you go out to the parking lot, and, and in the slot where your car is supposed to be, there's a camel, and, and, and you go, where's my car? We're giving you a camel, but he paid for a car. I didn't pay for a camel. You're getting a camel. The camel is yours. Ride your camel. Get out of here. Go. Now, I don't know that you would get a resolution that particular day. Maybe the manager's not in. It's Sunday. But um, I suspect that when you start threatening to call, what's the number? 1-800-2222 or whatever. When, when, you, when, you, when you get your legal team involved, chances are you're either going to get your car or you're going to get your money back because you did not buy a camel. You didn't. Why in the world could Joshua not just say, you lied, you die? Why? Joshua does something here that I think is an important lesson for all of us as Christ followers, especially if we want to continue to grow in maturity. Whose fault is it that he's in this situation? It's not the liar's. It's Joshua's. Joshua didn't consult the Lord as God. Joshua didn't talk to God. I mean, the text is clear. They looked at the moldy bread, but they did not talk to the Lord their God. How many times do we try to get ourselves out of a bad situation of our own creation? We did it, but we want, we want, to, we want to plead a technicality. We, you know, it's not really my fault. I didn't really do it. Uh, house I grew up in, betting was forbidden. B-E-T-T-I-N-G. I know it sounds like I'm saying betting. I'm saying betting. Okay? 
Betting was, for, it was considered, I mean, it was a sin. You didn't bet on anything, anything, anything at all. You did not bet. So let's say, theoretically, because I never did, okay? I, no, I wasn't going to do that. My dad killed me. So um, let's say I'm talking to Michael Fallendorf, kid across the street, and I say, hey, the Bills, the Bills are going to lose today. Now, there were seasons that that was just an easy bet, right? Two and 14, several times. So, and that particular day, they won instead of lost, and I had bet him 50 bucks. And I go home, and I'm like, I don't have 50 bucks. Where am I going to get 50 bucks? Uh, I had to talk to my dad. Oh, 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 shiver up the spine. Okay. Dad, I made a bet with Michael Fallendorf, 50 bucks. I mean, it was a sure bet. The Bills were going to lose, right? But it's one of the two times this season they won. This is all theory. I did not do this, okay? Anyway. And my dad would, I promise you, this is what he would have done. First of all, he would have looked me in the eyes and he would have said, how many times have we told you betting is wrong? Don't do it. Here's the 50 bucks, go pay Michael Fallendorf, and you are going to work until you die to pay me back. All right? Now you look at that and you go, wait a second, why in the world, why in the world would he have me pay the 50 bucks if it's wrong? Because it was my decision to do it. It was my decision to do it. How many times do we try to get out of a bad situation in our life based on a technicality rather than finally coming to the point of spiritual maturity to acknowledge I'm here because I did it. I did it. And it's not me paying for my sin. The Gibeonites, the Israelites were not paying for their sin. The Israelites were acknowledging we're in this situation because of what we did. And do you know what happens when we finally own up to our mistake instead of blaming it on somebody else? We grow. We grow. We live in a society and culture of blamers. It's everyone else's fault. I know. I have a teacher for a daughter, and I get to read the emails. The excuses are mind-blowing, mind-blowing. It's incredible. The things parents will say to defend their children. I'm like, just tell the kid he's wrong for crying out loud. Are you kidding me? This is what we're training our society to be like. It's not my fault. Technicality. Where's, where's learner when I need him? Call the lawyer, blah, blah, blah. Own it. Own it. If I had talked to God in this situation, we wouldn't be having to make a treaty with these people. If I'd have done the right thing in the first place, I wouldn't be where I am. Where I am. There are times in our life that we have to have the courage to ask God, God, I blew it. Is this where you want me to live? And he might just say, yep. Yep. Now, you know what's ironic and beautiful about this whole thing? Ultimately, the people of Gibeon become an integral part of the nation of Israel. It's in Gibeon that David, Solomon, and others worship the Lord their God. As these people continue to that very day, carrying the wood and cut, cutting the wood and carrying the water. We see again and again and again the way God used these people who were not Israelites to serve as part of the family of God. And so God was able, as he often does, to take what was evil and use it for good. And sometimes that's what God is choosing to do, even in our own lives. 
And so I want to encourage you to have the courage, the courage to ask God, moldy bread, what's really going on here? And the courage to ask God, I blew it. What do you want me to do? Should I scream technicality? Or should I actually live with the consequences of my decision knowing that that's going to grow something in me that you want to grow in me? And so, God, we, we turn to you and ask you for courage to ask. Help us in those moments of, of, of uh, conflict, not, not to blame, not to point, but instead to say, against you and you alone have I sinned. And I'm willing to receive the consequences of my decision. In Jesus' name, amen. So for communion this morning, we're going to listen to a, a beautiful song. Especially encourage you to listen to the fourth verse that um, tells us not just that Jesus came, but that Jesus is coming again. And then once we're done with that, we're going we're to turn to sing together a song that we actually introduced last Christmas, and it is a song that has uh, walked beautifully with us uh, throughout this whole season. So during the first part, take communion. During the first song, stay seated, take communion. During the second song, we'll stand together. If you didn't receive, get communion as you walked in, there's some on the front tables, there's on the back table. We also have the gluten-free option on either side table. So let's listen and take communion.
Let me tell you a quick story as we leave. <clears throat> so in 1992 uh, or three, I think, we moved into a new house in St. Louis on Foxdale Drive. And in order to go west and leave the, the, leave the neighborhood, you had, to, you had to go through a, you had to pass through a frontage road. The way the frontage road was arranged, it wasn't a four-way stop, it was a two-way stop. We had to stop. The frontage road did not stop. And so we had only been living there, I think, about two weeks. And uh, we, went, we were going to go west, came to that spot, and um, I stopped, I looked, there was a car right here. And that car, I recognized it, my new neighbor. And my new neighbor waved for me to go. I'm like, oh, how cool. And I started on out. And as I started on out, I turned to my left and I could see a car coming at us about 45 miles an hour. And I said, we're going to get <clears throat> hit, spun, wreck the car. Get out. What's going on? Walk on over to the side. Police come. And um, my neighbor stayed. Really nice. My neighbor stayed. My neighbor stayed. And when the police come, she, she says, this is all my fault. I told him to go. I, I waved. I waved for him to go. And I'm like, yeah, you, you preach. Yeah, yeah, it's your fault. You're right. And this, this wonderful St. Louis police officer, standing near the stop sign, looked at me and said, what does that sign say? And I went, stop. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it was, this, it was this monster growing up moment for me when I went, it was my fault. It was my fault. And I was willing to own it. I wonder today, where in life are you pointing at everybody else and blame them, blame the Gibeonites, blame whomever, when in fact I just need to finally grow up and say, I own it. It's me. And you know what? When you finally do, you get a gold star on your chart and you get to keep growing. Isn't that cool? You finally get to start growing up. So let's grow. Let's grow together. Let's grow. Enjoy your week. We'll see you.